Welcome into the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. It is a supernatural news Wednesday. That means only one thing. Well, of course, we're going to do the news, and we've got Parashare as well. we got a couple of your Parashare stories. we got one by email. We've got one on audio today. Of course, Sarah is, as she put it, we've now become her therapist, so she, <laughs> she submitted her latest therapy to us. But first, we need a co-host. In this case, it's a co-hostess, as Bruiser has his hip surgery tomorrow. So let's bring in the one, the only, the co-hostess with the most is Mally Fox. Thank you for being back again, once again this week, Mally. We appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love doing this. Oh, well, we love having you. I'm so partial to having you here because, uh, <laughs> let's face it, when, when we need somebody in, when we need somebody here to knock it out of the park, Mally Fox is here. <laughs> well, thank you for the credit. <laughs> well, I don't think it's true, but okay. Oh, it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And when I say knocking it out of the park, folks, Mally's bringing something to the table today that is absolutely going to chill you. We're going to talk about it in the second half of the program today. Because it's that good. <laughs> it is that good. <laughs> Mally caught a ghost by AI. That's all we'll say. A spirit by AI. <laughs> How do you like that? It'll freak you out. In fact, we'll have the actual picture that you can see on our website, darknessradioshow.com. We'll have it in the blog section so you can see it. We'll talk about it a little bit later in the AI section of the program. So, Mally, I got to uh, let's catch up on the alien side of things in a moment. First, I want uh, people who didn't listen to True Crime Tuesday yesterday, because we do have some listeners that don't, uh, didn't quite catch up with you. So let's let's catch up with you briefly. What's going on there in the uh, the mid state? So it would be see, I've got <laughs> by my the hand thumb up. lower, <laughs> by the thumb lower, right about the palm. That's yeah, where Mally perfect. is right there. Maybe a little bit to the to the right. Oh, a little bit to the right. More. Yeah, there you go. More in the crux of my thumb. Yeah, that's where Mally is. <laughs> Uh, so, so what's going on right there by my thumb in Michigan? Oh, things are great. Love and life. Good, good, good. Yeah. That's good. Now, big 4th of July plans? Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, we've got, a, in my town, we have a parade, mm -hmm. uh, which is a lot of fun. Love getting whipped at, uh, by candy. Oh. <laughs> they, like, <laughs> Thank you for following up with, with candy. I, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Thought we we're gonna get it a little. That's for a different, a different show. I was gonna say, yeah, I, I don't know that that's paranormal at all, but yeah, um, but no, just you know that, and then the 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 uh, campground with the kids and family and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and grilling and eating. Yeah, you know? oh, oh, now you're now you're. Oh, I know. I love I love food, yeah. just gosh. food in general, but especially campground food. You know, I had to rebuild my grill recently, and it's only. It's only like three or four years old. Oh. They're not building them like they used to. Well, they don't build anything like they used to. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Every parent has that refrigerator in the garage from like the 1970s. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. yet you'll buy a, a Frigidaire now and it'll last you like five, ten years. If that, yeah. If that, yeah. 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 When I was working in the early 2000s, when I was working at uh, Best Buy, in the in-home service department, boy, they'd break down within three, four years. Mm -hmm. And it was always compressors. They were always replacing compressors. <laughs> Just scary. I have a really gross refrigerator story. It takes me two seconds, okay? Go ahead. So I had two pugs. They mm -hmm. both passed on. Mm -hmm. 
bless her souls. Anyway, uh, one was 16 and she was a little bit stinky, smelling like a Frito all the time, right? (laughs) And when when we first moved into the house, we had the refrigerator that the previous owners left us. Well, Mm -hmm. one day there was like this really bad odor and Derek kept blaming Lulu, my little 16-year-old pug. And he was just like, God, she stinks. And I'm like, she does not. Like I was totally protective mama, mama bear. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know what you're smelling. And he's like, oh my God, it reeks. Well, then for like a couple of days, it smelled. Well, then our refrigerator came that we ordered he mm-hmm. pulled out our old refrigerator and there was like two dead mice oh. in like the water reserve thing that was in the back of the <gasps> fridge and he felt so bad oh. for blaming the dead mice on my lulu yeah well he should i know but isn't that gross that is gross yeah <laughs> well you know mice get into the damnedest places and then oh they, yeah of course you know when they get trapped and they they croak I mean, it just the yeah. Smell, you can't find awful. them like when they die in the vents and stuff. Because yep. I live in a really old house. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, they get into the damnedest places, and then they they up and die. And trying to trying to find them and get rid of them is the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. 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 <laughs> Speaking of decomposition, Mally, you've just transitioned to one of our stories today. Look at that. I'm a yeah. pro. It, it, it involves, <laughs> you know, they, uh, unfortunately, we are going to talk a little bit about that submarine today, or that submersible. Oh, that I know. submersible. That's so yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about what happens when a body implodes. <gasps> I saw a video on that. Yeah. So we'll talk just briefly about what happens when a body implodes. I had some some listeners ask questions about. Okay, so what exactly happened down there as far as the implosion of the submersible and what happens to your body when you implode? Is it painful? Is it a long process? We'll talk about that for just briefly. We don't want to dwell on it by all means, but we'll talk about it briefly. Yeah, Busters did a show on it. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk briefly about what happens when your body implodes at at a depth like that. Uh, But first, let's talk a little bit about aliens. I want to get I want to get you to weigh in on a little bit of this Mel, because we haven't talked a lot since a lot of this disclosure stuff has come out and a lot mm-hmm. about, especially about um, this latest, latest round of alien stuff, especially with Mr. Grush coming out and saying that he now believes that the U S government has had a craft of non human origin in its possession and that they, he's hinted that they've used this tech in using weapons or using mm. alien tech and reverse engineered it. We'll, we'll put it that way. Okay. Um, briefly, give me your, your opinion. Is it, are you of an opinion? Are you with uh, Bob Lazar on this, that, that it, it is a full reality that they've done this? You know what? I, I'm surprised every day by learning things about technology and aliens and everything. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't put, put it past the government that they have been using it. Yeah. Yeah. So if they tend to hide things a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I wouldn't put it past them. I still contend 95% of the things you see in the sky are ours. And I've told mm-hmm. people that for a long time. I think it's completely possible that we might have reverse engineered some tech that we found at Roswell. Mm-hmm. And we're still playing with alien tech. Um, again, we, we exploded in technology in the la- over the last hundred years. I mean, the mm-hmm. things that were possible, you know, that that are possible that we're doing right now, even touchscreens, I'm sitting here with an iPad in front of me, are, are is just technology that when I was 10 years old, I, I could never imagine. Right. You know, although I'm still waiting for that flying car, <laughs> <laughs> which I feel like I'm never going to have. 
But why? Okay, quick question for you, and then sure. we'll get to the story. Okay. Why do you think that there was, you know, how, how when you look back like hundreds and years and the buildings, the pyramids, all that stuff, and then you see in the paintings, you know, you see like the little alien and the spaceship and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that we had all of that stuff go on then and then it, like all of a sudden it disappeared and then we had to redevelop it? I mean, why do you think there's that lull in like all that time where they almost went back to basic? I'm still of a mind that, you know, I, I love the theory, although I, I'm not a full believer in it, but I love mm-hmm. the theory that we came from another planet, that we okay. were transplanted here from another planet. Um, you look at how the human body handles the gravity of this planet and it's just not natural. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't, much like apes, we can't jump from a tree and be perfectly fine. Um, our bones are easily broken. Our, our, our ligaments and tendons are easily torn. Uh, we're not really made for this gravity. You know, we, we're easily sick. We come down with, with many diseases quickly. Uh, we don't adapt well to this environment. And it seems like we're really, really fragile for a species. A lot of other species seem to adapt just fine and don't get easily sick. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask yourself, why is that? Um, I don't think we're native to this world. Okay. But, but again, I could be just crazy off my rocker and you can call me that. Um, but it, it uh, to think that is to think, well... That that's that's the long stretch, you know. That's saying, well, you know, maybe we just—if you believe in Darwinism—maybe we we've uh, you know we've just mutated past what we were originally as a, a species that could adapt to to this world. You know, maybe we've adapted out of it. Okay. You know, maybe we've become too much of a a cave dweller by creating our own caves and can't adapt to the outdoors or, or outside because we don't exist in it anymore. You know, we, we don't technically, technically we're not a part of our environment anymore. We've created our own environment. Mm-hmm. Um, without belaboring the point or getting, getting a long story longer, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that there is a realistic scenario where we were transplanted from another, from another planet. That's realistic. What is realistic is that up until the Industrial Revolution, we've lost sight of the old ways in which we do things. Mm-hmm. There are tools that we've lost along the way. There might have been better ways that we did things, the ancient ways, the old ways, such as the ways we bi- built the pyramids that we've lost. Old technology that we thought was archaic. In, f- mm-hmm. in favor of new ways that we threw away. You know, we don't, we, we don't, we don't measure things in cubits anymore, Mally. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, we thought it was, you know, it was lazy or we thought it was, uh, you know, it, it didn't measure upright or it didn't make for a very good measurement system. Uh, so now it's centimeters and inches. So, it, you know, it, it's... Um, but we've lost a lot of that too. We've lost we've lost languages. We've lost a lot of things because we thought our ways were better. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think we lost some technology that would allow us to build really awesome structures and and structures that would stand the test of time for hundreds, if not thousands, of years to build something that would be 
even bigger and better and not realize that some of those old ways might have been the best. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Well, I've got stories in front of me here that have to do with aliens contacting Earth, but it may not be humans who get the call. This according to experts, Mal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we have our old friend, Harvard professor Avi Loeb, and a team of researchers saying that uh, they've made a breakthrough discovery that could be alien in origin. Uh, that professor of astronomy, uh, Avi Loeb, is predicting that extraterrestrials will make contact with artificial intelligence before humans do so. Now, I should be playing the theme, but I'm going to hold off because it's an alien story (laughs) after all. Uh, Due to aliens potentially feeling a kinship with human technology, this is what he's claiming. He says, my expectations from interstellar travel is that it's best done with electronic gadgets and devices rather than with biological creatures because the journey takes a long time. That according to Avi Loeb, he said that in an upcoming documentary titled God versus Aliens, even to the nearest star, it will take us 50,000 years to get there with chemical rockets and artificial intelligence systems have that patience and then they can remain dormant so that they survive the journey. Space agencies across the world, including NASA and the European Space Agency, have for years been using AI technology to chart galaxies and stars and even send robots to other planets. Loeb said extraterrestrials will likely reach out to artificial intelligence before humans due to a likely kinship. If they visit us, of course, we can use our AI systems to interpret their AI systems. And, you know, they might actually feel a kinship to them, Loeb went on to say. Well, I don't know that they're both cold and unfeeling, but maybe not. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, Loeb is currently on an expedition in the Pacific Ocean searching for an object that crashed near Papua New Guinea in 2014. We call it Oumuamua. It's true. Do you remember Oumuamua, Mal? Uh, That's what Professor Loeb's looking for. We'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, Data shows the object originated around Earth's solar system and was recognized by NASA as the first known interstellar media t- or meteor media meteor to hit earth not media mal i uh i got that one wrong <laughs> um and it's true they are doing that underwater search for umuamua they're deep beneath the pacific ocean and uh let's just jump right into the story shall we if we rewind four years avi Loeb was thinking about another strange object that cigar-shaped comet called umuamua uh I can't help it. It looks like to, you're having a stroke. It does, doesn't it? I can't help it. I have to say it that way. I've been saying it that way for years, uh, since 2017. It's just, uh, you can't say it straight, can you? If you just say, ooh, mua, mua. It doesn't it sound no. weird? Yeah, it does. Yeah, you got to go, ooh, mua, mua. Uh, which silently <laughs> slipped past our planet in October of 2017. If you remember right, it kind of went, and it flew out of the way. But Avi Loeb mm-hmm. doesn't think it went and flew out of the way. He thinks it went splash and went into our ocean. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, how was that for descriptive? <laughs> Pretty good? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, supposedly, Oumuamua went into the void of space forever. This was Earth's first known interstellar visitor, according to Loeb a rogue visitor that may have traveled for some 600,000 years to reach our little blue marble. Loeb's quest to understand it uh, earned him a new nickname, the Alien Hunter of Harvard. Oh. Hey, that's pretty catchy if you ask me. (laughs) 
which was a best-selling book and no small degree of criticism from fellow scientists because they don't like flashy nicknames, evidently. No, not at all. No. Uh, with this comment in mind, Loeb decided to search for other cosmic anomalies, and this is what led him, via a team of university students, and a handy online catalog of fireballs detected around Earth to IM1, which is a weird name for a weird <laughs> meteorite that exploded over the Pacific Ocean at 3.05 a.m. local time on January 9th of 2014. Now, Loeb thinks he's found some remnants of the celestial interloper, and the question is asked, could these rare fragments, each around a third of a millimeter across, be debris from a distant solar system? And has he really managed to sift them out from the vastness of the Pacific? And just why is the search so provocative? Well, it's a startling fact that no human has ever personally encountered material from outside our solar system. Did you know that? Hmm. No. Yeah, well... I just told you that. <laughs> uh, despite 66 years of space exploration and hundreds of missions collecting samples from the moon, solar winds, asteroids, and low Earth orbit, as well as more than 70,000 meteorites that have been found uh, on the surface of our planet, the space debris scattered across the world's museums is all from our own cosmic neighborhood. We've never found anything outside of our solar system. So there you go. Uh, even the dinosaur-killing imposter that slammed into Earth 66 million years ago is thought to have come from the Oort cloud, or a mass of comets, at the farthest edge of our solar system, which regularly throws rocks our way. Uh, the planetary science community has gathered for or gathered an amazing body of solar system, the planets and asteroids found around a distant star, said Mark Fries, cosmic dust curator at NASA. He also went on to say, we know those systems exist, but have never been able to study them in the laboratory. Now, to move on a little bit here into our story, at first, IM was just a handful of numbers in an online database under the label CNEOS 2014-18, of course, which was the time that we encountered it. Though space is constantly under watch from the roughly 10,000 professional astronomers that inhabit the Earth, Together with thousands more amateur enthusiasts, meteorites are easily missed. The sky is simply too big to be monitored in all of its entirety all the time. And most telescopes aren't sensitive enough to detect small objects. So when IM1 slammed into the Earth, nobody noticed. The only record of its existence came from the U.S. government, whose sensors recorded its trajectory, speed, and altitude as it streaked through the atmosphere over the Atlantic Ocean near Portugal. Any further details, if they exist, are found in classified documents, not because it was a UFO, but because making them public would reveal too much about the capabilities of the military equipment that found it. But there was enough crucial details in the database to pique Loeb's interest. For a start, IM-1 was hurtling along at an uncanny speed. So fast forward a little bit, Loeb decides, hey, you know what? We're going to go try and find this thing. So that's what... Avi Loeb did. But some NASA scientists are unconvinced the study of astro-materials has revolutionized our understanding of the history of our own solar system, as this is what they're saying. And if we could make the same studies of astro-materials from another, then we would start down the road towards a similar level of understanding of that distant system, uh, says our friend Mr. Freeze. However, Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and he advises caution when looking for IM-1. 
At present, it's not clearly demonstrated that this body is interstellar in origin, not in fact. An expert in meteoroids made a presentation earlier this week at the Asteroids, Comets, and Meteors 2023 conference, which I bet you didn't know, Mally, that there's a Comic-Con for asteroids and nerds. I wonder if they have good gift bags. I bet you they do. (laughs) It's probably like a moon rock in every bag. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Uh, So that conference was showing that the best best explanation for IM-1 may be a fairly common rocky meteoroid from within our own solar system. That according to Freeze. So he's trying to spoil the whole party. Right. Needless to say, Avi Loeb is out there right now searching for IM-1. So it's been about a decade since the debris has landed. So that makes for a little bit of a problem for Avi Mm -hmm. Loeb and his team. They're out there looking. Avi Loeb believes there's no harm in checking for it. His quote is, uh, let's see here. I believe this is his quote. Uh, Oh, wait, no. Loeb says he remains optimistic. He says the team plans to take the spherales to Harvard College Observatory, where they will use spectrometry to identify the isotopes within it. By analyzing the proportions relative to other meteorites, Loeb hopes to test whether IM-1 really did have interstellar origins. Alternatively, he suggests it might confirm that they weren't formed, but made possibly by intelligent aliens. So he's thinking aliens are involved in this deal. In any case, Loeb believes that there's no harm in checking this thing. Freeze agrees along with the correct scientific process in that it's followed. He says science is wonderful in that it is one of the most forgiving human institutions in existence. He says that any scientist may propose any hypothesis and that any scientist may test that hypothesis. Everyone learns something new and progress is made towards the truth of the issue. We'll, of course, follow up when there's a follow-up on IM-1. And we'll tell you whether... I wonder if they give him, like, a deadline on how long he can look for it. Well, I think he has something he believes is the meteor in his possession. Mm -hmm. So he's going to go back and test it. However, whether it's an actual out of the solar system meteor or just something from our solar system is, is, is questionable. So that's, that's the question here, Mel. So there you go. Let's move on. Senator Josh Hawley says that the U.S. government has hit a huge number of UFOs from the public. A giant swell of people go, well, duh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican from Missouri, has claimed that the U.S. government has concealed a huge number of UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomenon. And I could hit the button and go do 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 do. But, you know, that's that's a whole other deal Uh, from the public for a long time. Uh, he made this statement in an interview with News Nation on Wednesday following the revelations of a former U.S. Air Force veteran who said he had seen evidence of alien crafts and remains in a top-secret uh, military program. Hawley said he was not surprised by the allegations of David Grush, who Mally and I talked about earlier in the program, who worked as the National Reconnaissance Office's representative to the UAP task force. Grush told News Nation earlier this month that he had seen fully intact UFOs, as well as proof of non-human entities, and that the government had hidden this information from the public and other parts of the government. I don't have any basis to evaluate them, this is Grush's claims, but do Some of the details that he's alleging, do they sound plausible? Yeah, sure, they sound plausible based on what I've seen this government do in other instances, Hawley said. He cited the example of the Chinese spy balloon that was spotted flying over 
American airspace earlier this year and how one part of the government actively concealed it from other parts. That's what they do all the time, Hawley went on to say. Hawley's comments come as the U.S. government is facing increased scrutiny over its handling of UFO sightings. In January, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence released an unclassified report on UAPs, which revealed that there were 510 sightings in 2022, an increase of 366 compared to the previous year. However, most of these sightings were categorized as balloon-like entities or clutter, such as plastic bags or drones. Well, that doesn't really qualify then as UFO, does it? (laughs) Plastic bags. (laughs) Yes, those plastic bags are known for taking over the earth. Uh, Only 171 sightings were deemed to have unusual flight characteristics or performance capabilities that required further analysis. The report also stated that there was no credible evidence of extraterrestrial activity or off-world technology in any of the sightings. However, some lawmakers and experts have questioned their validity and transparency of the report and called for more investigations and hearings on the UFO phenomenon. One of them is Sean Kirkpatrick who's been a little bit controversial in the UFO field. The director of the Pentagon's All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or Arrow, as it's known, which is tasked with investigating UAPs. In April, Kirkpatrick told a Senate meeting that his office was looking into 650 potential UFO cases and that some of them were truly anomalous. He, is also, uh, or he also declassified several videos of UAPs that showed objects moving at high speeds and performing maneuvers that defied physics. However, he maintained that there was no proof of aliens or their crafts. Hawley said that he was not satisfied with the government's response to the UFO issue and that he wanted more transparency and accountability. He said that he was concerned about the national security implications of UAPs and whether they were posing a threat to American interests. He also said he was curious about the possibility of life on Earth and whether humans had ever encountered it. He was quoted as saying, I think it's something that we ought to know more about. And there you go. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting stuff from U.S. Senator Josh Hawley. Now, that country that you and Bruiser hate so much, Mally, Canada. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I got to get off this list. (laughs) No, I know. I I don't mean to keep implicating. Bruiser needs to be solo (laughs) on that list. I know, and it's not that Bruiser <laughs> hates the entire country. It's just your, your beer and, and, and uh, your restaurants. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it turns out that the Canadians have concerns over covert UFO programs as well. Oh, so it's not just us. <laughs> yeah, it's good. not just us hiding stuff about <laughs> UFOs. It's the Canadians as well. A bombshell letter, Mally, was re- revealed this past week as a Canadian's politician, a Canadian politician rather, has concerns over covert UFO programs there involving what's called the Five Eyes Alliance in the country of Canada itself. Interesting. Five Eyes Alliance. In a bombshell letter, Canadian politician Larry McGuire has urged Canada's Minister of Defense to request a briefing which could verify that Canada and the Five Eyes Alliance, that's right, this five is in the number five, eyes is in the things that are in your sockets, uh, Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance are involved in a secretive program concerning the recovery and exploitation of materials originating from unidentified anomalous phenomena. It's hard to get used to that. 
<laughs> UAPs as opposed to yeah. UFO. Yeah. Uh, the letter came into the possession of investigative journalists Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp, who premiered details on their podcast titled Weaponized. We talked about that UAP a few weeks ago. Uh, in a letter dated March 22nd of 2023, McGuire fervently urges Anita Anand to formally request a classified briefing on the alleged covert UAP efforts involving Canada and wrote, I am writing to recommend you request a classified briefing containing full sensitive and protected program information from your officials on the government of Canada's historical and ongoing efforts on analyzing recovered UAP material. McGuire also wrote, Recovered foreign material is studied through the Five Eyes Foreign Material Program, or FMP, which in Canada is sponsored by the Canadian Forces Intelligence Command, aligned with several intelligence-sharing arrangements and treaties. The Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance was established in 1941. Today, compromises New Zealand, Canada, the U.S., the United Kingdom, and Australia. In May of 2023, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, who we talked about in the last story, uh, leads the U.S. government's UAP office, known as Arrow, disclosed having conducted a meeting with the Five Eyes Nations to discuss the subject of UAP. As per McGuire and numerous sources known by Liberation Times, it has become evident that the Five Eyes connection concerning UAP extends far beyond surface-level involvement. However, it is another alliance that appears to concern McGuire, known as AUKUS, A-U-K-U-S, which is the Trilateral Security Pact involving Australia, the United Kingdom, and the USA. According to McGuire, this alliance has the potential to unveil information originating from the Five Eyes Foreign Material Program, posing a possible threat to Canada's credibility on the UAP subject. McGuire went on to write, I am concerned that expected upcoming public announcements will be coordinated between AUKUS, which could damage Canada's credibility with our allies and the Canadian public on the global stage. So he's worried that Canada is going to look foolish. Interestingly enough, hmm. uh, announced in 2021, AUKUS is a security pact in the Asia-Pacific region, widely regarded as an initiative aimed at countering China's influence. The foundation of AUKUS rests upon facilitating the sharing of sensitive technology between the U.S. and the U.K. with Australia. This collaboration enables Australia to construct its inaugural fleets of nuclear-powered subs as a strategic response to the growing Chinese threat, which is interesting. Uh, since its creation, cooperation has deepened between its members from an innovation perspective. Recently, the U.S. Department of Defense requested funding for five new projects collectively deemed the AUKUS Innovation Initiatives to accelerate technology deployments. So really, it has a defense use, but they're claiming it also has a, U a UFO use as well. So, uh, But Mr. McGuire, uh, let's just say has his his panties in a bunch a little bit <laughs> thinking that this has a UFO use as well. So, and that Canada is going to look a little stupid on the national stage. Yeah. There you go. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. One more UFO story, I believe here. And then uh, one story about a meteor, and then we'll take a break. Um, a British UFO hunter says that new pictures are definitive evidence that we're not alone. The spooky pics reveal an alien flying saucer, according to John Mooner, who photographed the strange visitor over Devon. New images show a UFO flying over the Devon countryside, according to 
an extraterrestrial hunter. The spooky pics reveal an alien flying saucer, according to John Mooner, who photographed that strange presence. Mr. Mooner said he was scanning the skies for extraterrestrials when he saw the mysterious visitor over the, I believe it is the Tain Estuary. A glint of light instantly caught my eye as something metallic-looking came from out of a cloud, he explained. I was completely gobsmacked by what I was seeing. It was unmistakably a flying saucer with two black rectangular windows on the dome portion of the craft and four black openings along the bottom part of its structure. I could also see some type of force field emanating from around it. John was able to capture the otherworldly pics on his Nikon P900 digital camera. The snaps show a blurry shape that does somewhat resemble an alien craft from a 1950s sci-fi film. Mr. Mooner, a firm UFO believer, also claims to have been abducted by aliens, said the subject soon vanished into a cloud. And when it left, he said, it shot off at speeds of up to 1,000 miles an hour. He continued, I was so excited, I continued to monitor the area with the hope of sighting this incredible craft once again. Then minutes later, I actually got the chance to see it again when it swiftly shot out from the cloud. This time, however, I only captured the underside of the anomalous saucer craft. For John, it's definitive evidence that aliens are visiting this Earth. He went on to say, this is absolutely genuine. The alien presence is real and we're not alone. It's not Mr. Mooner's first time spotting UFOs in the skies over Devon. Uh, at Torbay Air Show earlier this month, he captured something hovering near the famous Red Arrows. We read that story a couple of weeks ago, if you remember back uh, on the show. And finally, before break here, Mally, they're pretty rare. There's a meteor captured on video seen in San Diego, Tucson, and Las Vegas. And no, it wasn't the UFO that landed in the backyard of those poor people <laughs> in Las Vegas. Uh, Robert Lunsford, the person who sifts through reports of meteors at AMS, confirmed what was seen was likely a fireball. When Bernard King and his wife checked their doorbell video from overnight, they're used to seeing neighborhood cats or coyotes. But when they woke up on Friday morning of last week, they saw something completely different. It looked like it was something coming from space at a high speed and burning up pretty brightly, he told NBC7. The flash was green, at least to me. And that's the way it looked. Now, according to the recording device, the moment was captured on at 2.38 a.m. on Friday, June 23rd. When King, who lives in the Mission Hills area, looked at the footage, it appeared to show a bright object hurtling down from the night sky with a long tail following it like a wake. Then when the orb looks like it reaches the skyline, there's a bright flash and it disappears. It could be space junk or space debris from a rocket launch, but it definitely looked like it was coming from space at a high speed, King said, while explaining his assumption that it was most likely a meteor. King went to report his finding to the American Meteor Society, an organization that was founded in 1911 and tracks meteor sightings across the globe. When he got to their website, he was surprised to see that more than one dozen other people had reported seeing the exact same thing at the same time from as far as Nevada and Arizona. My thought was that in the video itself, it seems like a lot closer, like, oh, it's just in El Cajon and just in eastern San Diego, where it's actually probably hundreds of miles away, King said. It really puts in perspective how big this thing was and how bright it was. Robert Lunsford, the person who sifts through reports of meteors at AMS, confirmed that it was seen. what was seen was likely a fireball. 
when you have meteors that are larger than normal, it only takes ones that are about the size of a softball or larger to produce a flash equivalent to the full moon. Wow, that's it? Hmm. It's pretty small. Yeah. Uh, They can be extremely bright, he went on to say. We must remember these fireballs are entering the atmosphere at speeds of up to 50 miles per second, which is quite fast. Lunsford has spent his entire life studying the night sky and said for those who are able to see this moment, it is very special. We need to remember that on a personal basis, these are pretty rare. You have to be outside on a clear night facing the right direction, Lunsford said. He added that the use of security cameras to automatically capture these moments is extremely helpful. A lot of folks think, geez, the sky is falling. We're getting more of these. No, we're just able to record more and more of these. And a lot of people don't know that they can actually report and help us advance science, Lunsford said. According to Lunsford, there will be an opportunity to view a a meteor shower in um, San Diego overnight from August 12th to August 13th. That's if there's a clear sky. So there you go. I tell you what, folks, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Ocean Gate submersible, about what exactly happened down there that caused the death of the the unfortunate death of the people down there. And then we're going to talk about a mortician explaining what exactly exactly happens when a body implodes. It's not pretty. Mm. But the good news of it, Mally, is it happens quick. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that when we come back. Blood Red Cricket invaded Nevada Town. Is it the end of the world as we know it? We'll talk about that as well. Of course, AI is in the news, Mally. We'll talk about our AI news. And the worst type of AI is making a comeback. The, oh. A listener submitted story. A few of you submitted it to me this week. It's our most uh, requested story of the week. So we'll, we'll bring that up. Uh, a satanic band wants to perform in front of the government, man. <laughs> I'll tell you about that. Uh, also, Mally has her own AI ghost story that's coming up after the break. You're listening to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is a Supernatural News Wednesday right here on Darkness Radio. <laughs> Welcome back to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio on a Supernatural News Wednesday. No, folks, it's not Bruiser and the Bruiser. It's not that because Bruiser's out having his hip surgery. By the way, as you're listening to this, Bruiser's hip replacement surgery is tomorrow. So if we could, we ask you for a prayer and healing request. Just please put out your prayers, your positive thoughts, your positive energy out there for Bruiser. Because tomorrow... Thursday morning, he goes in for surgery. So just put all your positive love and energy out there for Bruiser that he has uh, good surgery, good positive surgery, good positive recovery, and that our buddy is back with us soon. And that uh, he's up and at him and, and feeling good, feeling like himself. You want to know something amazing, Mally? He hmm. walked with a limp for so many years, he can't remember walking straight. Get out, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't remember what it's like to walk without pain. No, no. Are his hip problems from wrestling? Yes. Or is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, his surgeon said, or when he's told the story here on the show, but when his surgeon looked at him, uh, 
uh, he said he had asked asked him what he did for a living and asked if he was a paratrooper. And he oh. said, no, I've never jumped out of a plane. He said, I'm a professional wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> because he's got little spikes that come off the ball joint. Right. You know, bone spurs from, mm-hmm. from everything he's done with that hip. So, and, and every time he took a step, this is the thing that he's not telling you guys here on the air. Every time he took a step, those spines would break. So he was, and it was fused. His joint, oh. his hip joint is fused. So every time he would take a step, he would re-break his hip and then it would fuse oh, overnight when he would go to bed. So, oh yeah. So every day he's breaking his hip folks when he's, when he's walking. So it's, it's painful. It's very painful. Um, so Bruiser, have a good surgery tomorrow. And uh, here's hoping that uh, the rest of your life is pain-free and feels good. And, and you're out there, uh, you know, out there having a, he, he trains students at AML. So, so hopefully the next part of your career is nice and fulfilling here in podcasting and, uh, and also in training students, training the next generation of wrestlers. So. There you go. I know he's also going to try and occasionally have a part-time match, try to try to do some matches as a part-time career. We'll see how that goes, though. So, Mally, uh, this has been an unusual week, an unusual mm-hmm. week for disasters. We had, of course, the Ocean Gate Titan disaster that we'll talk about here in a minute. The one that uh, got overlooked this week, there was uh, a boat in Greece that I capsized. Know. I think that didn't get enough attention by the media. Um, and there, there was that disaster that happened as well. With this uh, Titan submersive that, that went down uh, near the Titanic, and of course, for those, those of you who are, are very familiar, I think the story's been covered and recovered quite, quite often. Uh, the submersible that was carrying five people to the wreck of the Titanic imploded. And a lot of people wonder what happened. What, why? Why did it happen? This thing was made of carbon fiber. It, it should have been strong enough to withstand those deaths. Well, not necessarily. Um, it, it had been used uh, by James Cameron in research for the Titanic movie. Uh, it had gotten good use. And that's probably what was its undoing. Carbon fiber, as we're finding out now, is not meant to be used at depths of that, of that kind. Mm-hmm. It can't withstand that kind of pressure. The U.S. Coast Guard, Coast Guard said that the debris found by search crews in the Atlantic was parts of the submarine when, when they went and, and used um, unmanned ships to go down there uh, on the deadly expedition. And the remainders serve as proof that the hull suffered a catastrophic implosion as tributes poured out for the five crew who died in the accident, questions remain unanswered as to what caused the Titan to implode. Although an investigation into the tragic circumstances is still ongoing, multiple marine experts have spoken out to offer their insights and explanations. We have five theories as to why the tragedy happened, which led to the catastrophic implosion. Now, one of them is failure, failure of the hatch sealed by 17 bolts. Former Royal Navy submarine captain Ryan Ramsey commented on the possible reasons for the implosion of the Titan submersible during its descent of the Titanic wreckage. He said that the implosion of the Titan submersible may have been caused when the hatch, secured by 17 bolts, experienced a failure, leading to the collapse of the hull under which under under the immerse 
pressure at that depth, rather. Uh, he stated the hatch with the 17 bolts they used to seal them in might have had a failure, which then caused the hull to collapse at pressure because there's such a huge amount of pressure, even halfway down. The next one is that the pressure hull had a defect, plain and simple. Another possible explanation, according to Mr. Ramsey, is that the pressure hull itself had a pre-existing defect, which then fractured under the pressure, resulting in the implosion. Mr. Ramsey said that the pressure hull itself might have had a defect in it when they sailed, and that that's fractured from the pressure and caused the same result. He added, however, that the only positive out of it is that the implosion occurred instantaneously, implying that the crew members were not aware of the impending danger. The third is that it likely was caused by instability. The chairman of the U.S.-based Manned Underwater Vehicles Committee, William Conan, uh, said the implosion of the Titan submersible was likely caused by instability. Speaking to BBC Radio 4's Today program, Mr. Conan said clearly something disturbed the pressure hull. He said if you ever have held a balloon and it just pops, if you hold it just lightly, something happened. An implosion is just a reverse explosion. So it exploded inwards. Guillermo Soline, uh, a co-founder of Ocean Gate Expeditions, echoed similar concerns when he was asked about the potential cause of the implosion. He said anyone who operates in that depth of the ocean, whether it's human-related submersibles or robotic submersibles, knows the risks of operating under such pressure, and that at any given moment on any mission with any vessel, you run the risk of any kind of implosion. OceanGate is refusing to submit to outside regulations, however. Uh, concerns over OceanGate's operations had been previously raised by members of the Marine Technology Society Manned Underwater Vehicles Committee. In a letter, the committee expressed unanimous concern about the development of Titan, claiming it had not undergone a standard risk assessment by Det Norsky Veritas, or DNV, an international maritime classification body. The committee emphasized the importance of third-party validation to ensure the safety of submersible occupants. However, OceanGate defended its decision, stating that its goal was to pursue innovative design and operation outside of the established system. Because the Titan operated in international waters, it was not subject to regulation by any country, including a U.S. law that required passenger submersibles to be registered with the Coast Guard. This lack of regulation raised questions about safety and the accountability of OceanGate. The Titan was not solely a research vehicle. It was designed to be a commercial vehicle to facilitate profitable Titanic expeditions for OceanGate. This raises further concerns about the nature of the adventure industry, the ethics of catering to wealthy tourists, and the implication of conducting expeditions to a famous underwater mass grave. It says here that the hull material was not suitable. Now, another expert, deep water salvage master and former Marine Robert Mester, uh, said that he had declined a trip with the Titan's predecessor at Ocean Gate, which was the Antipodis. Uh, Mr. Meester, or Mester, rather, uh, who is an experienced professional in the deep field of deep-sea salvage and possesses knowledge about operating in challenging underwater environments, said he deemed the equipment and materials used unsuitable for the depths that they were going to reach. He told the Daily Beast they were using off-the-shelf hardware from Radio Shack to operate inside, and quite frankly, we're talking about an environment that requires robust equipment that has certifications and qualifications that are established by different agencies 
for man-rated submersibles. None of the equipment that I saw inside the submersible was up to that level, so I chose not to go. Mr. Mester believes that the implosion of the Titan submersible occurred based on his understanding of the submersible's operating procedures and the extreme conditions that it was facing. He explains that at a depth of 4,000 to 5,000 feet, the pressure is immense, amounting to approximately a ton and a half per square inch. According to his knowledge, when even a small failure in the submersible structure pressure, pressure chamber under such high pressure happens, it could lead to an implosion. He went on, quite frankly, I found something else to take that time up rather than take that trip. That's quite harsh. Mm. The Titan had a carbon fiber hull, and which, how do I put this? It's not a material that's ever been successfully used at great depths. So that's what he says as far as that carbon fiber hull. Now, a mortician is weighed in, explaining what happens when a human body implodes. Now, it is morbid, but at least it's instantaneous. Now, if you're squeamish, you probably want to fast forward a little bit as to how this happens. And we'll tell you here in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Are you ready, Mally? <laughs> yes. Now, here's what happens, and it's a little bit of a long answer, but here's what happened. The short answer is that there will not be any remains recovered, mm. okay, based on what mm-hmm. happens when an implosion hits your body. The long answer is going to haunt your nightmares if you're ready for this. An implosion is the opposite of an explosion, with pressure forces pushing inward so hard that something becomes crushed. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. And at Titanic-level depths, the pressure of water is about 6,000 pounds per square inch. The human body can withstand about 50 PSI. There's no soft way to paint the picture of that horrible death other than to try and take comfort for that it happens too fast for the brain to realize what's happening or even send pain signals. So you don't feel any pain. Oh, that's a positive thing. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, one of the safety systems of the Titan was supposed to notify passengers if the vessel became compromised, which is only reassuring if one knows next to nothing about deep sea exploration. Even the tiniest of scratches or dings can cause a weakness in the structure that is susceptible to the immense weight of water pressing in from all sides, and it happens so quickly that warnings are unlikely to help. Forensics on the investigation currently indicate the occupants of the Titan may have had enough notice to drop their weights and try to surface, but the communications and tracking went out simultaneously, indicating that there was likely no hope for rescue at any point. So it does beg the question, though, of what was making the banging noises that we were all hearing about in the media that were first believed to be distress signals. Some now believe those noises were the ghosts of the deceased. I I don't agree with this this article Mm -hmm. on that, which says we're clanging away at the bottom of the ocean so at least their fate could be known. I don't believe that that was it. There are a lot of strange noises on the bottom of the ocean. I don't give that any any credence whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I would even ignore that I even just read that, (laughs) to be honest with you. Uh, Let's move on, Mally. Oh, Uh, real quick, though. Did you see the video of a psychic back in the spring she said Bill Paxton came to her and said that there was going to be a disaster with like a very small ship. No. And that they would overlook, they're going to overlook something when they were uh, going over everything to make sure that it was safe. And that she even mentioned the word Titanic. 
Really? Yeah, she's. I think she's. I can't remember if she's British or if she's Australian. I don't remember. But yeah, she mentioned all of this stuff. And I know with psychics and stuff, you can be vague and you can kind of you know make your own assumption sometimes on mm-hmm. what they're saying. Yeah. But to mention Titanic, Bill Paxton, who went on, you know, who was with James Cameron when he was doing the trips down to the Titanic, mm-hmm. and to say that everyone on board was going to die. It was a small ship. All of this stuff. Yeah. She Whoa. said it, I think, back in the spring. Wow. Yeah, I'll see if I save the link and I'll send it to you. Sure, it sounds good. Yeah, Because I thought that was interesting. That is interesting indeed. Wow, that would be some prediction if that were... Right, oh, right? Yeah. I say book that psychic if that were, if that were the I case. know. I think I did save it because I was like, oh, I might have to, <laughs> have to check this lady out. I do have a psychic story in, in the uh, news today. We'll get to it here in, in a little while. Um. So uh, the end of the world, Mally, if, okay. as you as you imagine it, what would be the worst plague or pestilence to uh, hit even Michigan for the end of the world? <laughs> would it be the Red Wings winning the cup or what would it be? The Lions winning the Super Bowl? Ooh, you're going to get some hate mail. <laughs> Our teams might suck, but I'll tell you what. People in Michigan are like fanatic. I mean, they sure. are huge fans. You know, the, the, I've never seen so many people have things on their cars and wear memorabilia. You know, the, the rumor is the Lions are winning the, the North this year. Really? Yeah, supposedly <laughs> they're that good, and the Vikings suck that bad. I know Green Bay isn't winning it because Rodgers went to the, the Jets, but mm-hmm. yeah, everyone's saying the Lions are going to be the surprise team. Huh. The roar has been restored, Mally. <laughs> Better get my tickets now while they're still cheap. <laughs> Aren't they always cheap? <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> the only ticket you can find on StubHub for two bucks. <sighs> um, I know I'm going to get those emails. Tim at darknessradio.com. Yep. Keep them coming. <laughs> Keep them coming, Michigan. Keep them coming. We almost had it for a brief moment. We were recording Jim Harbaugh to come be our coach of the Vikings. <laughs> we scared you for a minute. Yeah. Uh, well, I doubt it's going to be blood red crickets that will invade Michigan. They uh, they like winners in Michigan. No, no. no. <laughs> I'm just saying. But blood red crickets, Mally. Blood red crickets inv- invade a Nevada town, and residents are fighting back with brooms, leaf blowers, and snow plows. <laughs> snow plows. Yeah. <laughs> We go to Elko, Nevada, where Dana Dolan has been driving through her small Nevada hometown, which she thought she had some, or when she thought she had come up upon a gory crash. The ground surrounding Elko's stretch of Interstate 80, what is my problem today, Uh, looked as if it had been covered in blood as the red color shifted and moved. She realized instead it was an infiltration of crickets, some bigger than her thumb. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, I'd rather take snow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine the crunch as she's driving over Ooh. them? <laughs> you know, we get we get mayflies up here in Minnesota. Oh, Wisconsin. so do we. Yeah. They're nasty. Yeah, but I yeah, I don't want crickets. Crickets are worse. Uh, it's almost like a biblical plague, Dolan told the AP last week, laughing at the absurdity of the situation that is playing out in Elko, where she's lived for six years. Tens of thousands of Mormon cricket eggs are buried about... What makes them Mormon? Do they try to recruit you? Apparently. Huh. <laughs> they wear magic underpants? What? 
You've never heard of the magic underpants? No. I just know that they skip my house when they go door to door. (laughs) (laughs) Is that all the stuff you have up? Yeah. Yeah. They usually do. I see them hit my neighbors, but they go right past mine. (laughs) (laughs) They know you're not convertible. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We'll have to. I'll explain the magic underpants off here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Tens of thousands of Mormon cricket eggs are buried about an inch deep in the soil and began to hatch in late May or early June. For weeks, the red critters have been invading swaths of northern Nevada and causing chaos, said the state's longtime entomologist, Jeff Knight. Uh, The invasion of the cannibalistic crickets has hit especially hard in Elko, a small town of about 20,000 near Idaho and Utah, known for its gold mining. Uh, the big red bugs leave behind a stench that is so horrible, Mally, it's akin to burning flesh. Oh. Ew. Yeah. It also forces residents to plug their noses while driving. It's that bad. Ugh. Mm-hmm. The critters stick to tires and the bottoms of shoes, which is always fun, and their carcasses are everywhere, even in gyms. Ew. Get them on your weight bench. That's always fun. Uh, When they move, it sounds like rain. Huh. Mm. Residents and workers have tried to use brooms, leaf blowers, pressure washers, and snow plows to get rid of the crickets, only for them to return. State officials have erected signs throughout Elko County warning drivers of slick highways, a popular hangout spot for insects that won't think twice about eating their dead friends. Ew, 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 Elko County, you're gross. Uh, The red, red creatures blanket highways and scuttle over barriers seeking food. They crackle and pop under the wheels of trucks. That's fun. Uh, Creating something like an oil slick, said Jeremiah Moore of Spring Creek, whose vehicles slid off the road after a highway encounter with the Mormon crickets. (laughs) Yikes. Wow. He said, I was coming home, and as I came around the corner, I came around a little too fast, and I about ended up in the ditch full of water, Moore said. It was pretty intense. One hospital even hired four temporary part-time employees whose main duty was to clear the campus of the crickets long enough for patients to enter the building. The group called itself the Cricket Patrol. (laughs) That's crazy. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to keep them from moving, or we're just trying to keep them moving on their way, Steve Burroughs, a spokesperson for Northeastern Nevada Regional Hospital, said. When the cricket patrol wasn't on duty, Burroughs said, other in-hospital employees stepped in. (laughs) There was the medical worker in the cardiology unit who, still in his black scrubs, went outside the hospital's ambulance bay between seeing patients to swat crickets away with a broom. I don't think they get paid enough for that. Uh, And the IT specialist who helped with cleanup efforts uh, was another one who helped. Uh, Outbreaks of Mormon crickets, which are native to the Great Basin and Intermountain West, have been recorded throughout history across the West, from Nevada and Montana to Idaho, Utah, and Oregon. There are records of infestation uh, dating to the 1990s, according to entomologist Knight. Legend has it that the insects who got their name when they started devastating crops planted by Mormon settlers uh, who had moved into the Salt Lake Valley in Utah, Knight said. The settlers prayed for relief. They came in forms of seagulls. That's the only thing that beats these things, Mal, is seagulls. The seagulls ate the crickets. That's also why they are the state bird of Utah, which I had no idea that a seagull was the state bird of Utah. I did not either. 
<laughs> you learn all kinds of stuff. I know, right? Yeah, there you go. Uh, it's that time, Melly. It's that time once again for us. Actually, before we get to uh, before we get to the stories that will scare you all, let's do a pair share, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's go out to, uh, we're going to do an audio parashare first. By the way, two ways to do parashare. You can send me an email, Tim at darknessradio.com. We'll read your story right, story right here on the air. We have one coming up from Corey a little bit later in the program. Uh, also, you can send us an audio email by simply going to darknessradio.com. On the right-hand side, there's a blue button. You click that blue button. You've got a two-minute window in which you can leave your voicemail or, or your voice note. And Sarah has done that today. Uh, Sarah has a story about the Stanley Hotel. Here's Sarah with her story about the Stanley Hotel here on Parashare on Darkness Radio. Hello. It's Sarah from Kentucky again. Um, I just wanted to give you two more of the things that I've um, had happened. Uh, my friend and I, this was back in the late 90s. Um, we were coming home and going down the road not nobody else was on the road with us and all of a sudden we see a set of headlights come from one side of the road cross the road and go across to the other road but when we get up to where it crossed there's no way a car could have went there there was fences on either side there were no driveways nothing so we said to the state I don't know where those lights came from um the second thing that happened actually happened with my husband we went to the Stanley Hotel and we went on the tour. Um, we didn't get to stay in the room. So hopefully I get to stay there in the room sometime because that place is magical. Um, we were in the concert hall. Um, and we were, uh, we were the last in the group because, you know, we're kind of the, we're the socially awkward people. So we're in the very back. And um, we're up in the top in the... Um, yeah, in the little top area there. And um, we hear a whistle. And then this little door that's up at the top there to the little room opens up. <laughs> Only me and my husband saw this. And we kept trying to, like, recreate it. You know, we were like, we shut the door and we were, like, stepping around. And we couldn't get that door to open up for anything um so yeah that was really cool because my husband got to experience that as well so um the stanley it's amazing i, I would love to stay there for a week <laughs> i love you guys <laughs> sorry the word i was looking for was balcony i had a total brain fart there when we were up in the balcony and we heard a whistle and the little door opened up and it was it was awesome because Frankie got to experience that too. Um, but yeah, that was really the only thing we had happen at the Stanley. Um, but I was, I, <laughs> I felt things throughout the entire place. There are very light, friendly feelings. There's a couple of not so nice one, you know, but, um, that place is, uh, we, I didn't get to spend enough time there. Need to go back. Estes Park is a beautiful town. Well, there you go. There's Sarah with her Parashare story. Again, if you have a Parashare story for us, uh, just send it in to darknessradio.com or leave us a voice note, darknessradioshow.com. Mally, uh, what's your favorite memory of uh, Stanley Hotel? Oh, my goodness. I love that place. Yeah. I. You know what? I can't. I don't think I can. 
I don't know. There are so many. I don't know. I just, it's never let me down. Yeah. Yeah. I think my, I guess one of the favorite memories I have is actually walking past is, is actually people getting evidence on the, on the, um, forgetting the name of the piece of equipment now, but as I was walking down on the sidewalk, people said they were getting a, um, they were getting the um, ovulus. That's what it was. They were getting the okay. ovulus saying, Tim, 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 as I was walking on the sidewalk outside. Um, and they were investigating on a, in a room on the fourth floor. Mm -hmm. Remember, uh, were you there when they were doing an investigation with, oh my God, now I'm having the brain farts. Holy crap. Um, Chris Fleming, and they were talking about a crooked arrow, and it was like laughing. Was that with the uh, Frank's box? I don't remember. I just remember someone, I don't know. But it was like they kept bringing it up. Like every time we were there, it was brought up, that little story. Some, I, think, I don't know. I I'm not making sense right now. No, but. it's okay. It's okay. I, I, I know the story you speak of. I'm not, I don't remember if I was there I or not. Because yeah, I don't remember if they were using an ovulus or what. Wasn't that over in the... It wasn't the concert hall, but it was the, the no, house next to the... I thought it was on the, the fourth floor. Was it on the fourth floor? I thought so. Might have been, yeah. I, th I think I know the one you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, there's been so many experiences, I can't just pick one. The concert, I've never concert hall was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just crazy experiences there. If, if you ever get a, a chance, folks, to go to the Stanley Hotel, take the tour on the, at the Stanley Hotel, or it, you're, you're guaranteed to have some sort of experience there. It's, it's crazy. It just is mm -hmm. crazy. And it's a good experience. There's never a, there's never a bad supernatural experience there. No, and there's no. not a bad feeling at all. No, no. It's very light. Very mm -hmm. light. Yeah, but it's just crazy how how often people have experiences there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so thank you so much, Sarah, for, for, uh, for sending in your, your parachute experience. Uh, we'll hear later on from Corey. So. I loved her southern accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so cute. Yep. yep. Uh, boy, Mally, it's, uh, it's about that time, if you don't mind and, and indulge me. It's time for me to rant a little bit about AI. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Tom sent this in. It's not necessarily a story. He just wanted to, uh, rile me up a little bit. Um. Okay. He sent me a, a website. And it's throwflame.com. And it's a listing for a Terminator. Do you want to know what a Terminator is, Mal? Sure. A Terminator is the first ever flame-throwing, wielding robot dog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's disturbing because it doesn't have a head, first oh. of all. It, it, it just has a hole where its head should be. I mean, it has a head, but it, it doesn't have eyes. It just has... Well, here, I'll show you, Mal. Tell me, tell me this thing coming at you throwing flames isn't scary. Oh... Isn't that disturbing? Yeah, it looks like it's been in a movie. Yes! Like it but should, I don't know what movie. It looks like it should be in the next Terminator movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, it says, This quadruped is coupled with the ARC or ARC flamethrower to deliver on-demand fire anywhere. And it's shipping in the third quarter of 2023. And you can actually order the Flamebot 
9,000, which, by the way, here's here's video of the goddamn thing, Nelly. Oh, that's dangerous. Isn't it? Look at this thing go. Oh, my gosh. I think Tom's trying to make me piss myself as he, as he sends <laughs> this video to me. It's um, like doing a little prance. Yes, it prances like it's a it's a pretty little poodle, but it shoots fire. This is this is not cute, Tom. Not cute or funny, Tom. By the way, this flame bot, it it uh, it's thirty seven pounds. It's uh, thirty by twenty by twenty inches. So you're like, oh, it's the cutest little Terminator ever. You can join the wait list for it, but it ships out for something like under $10,000. It's like $7,500. I could see that getting in the wrong hands. Oh, yeah. But you can you can order it out there. I'm not going to give the website again. You heard it earlier in the program. Right. But yeah, Terminator can be yours. Just order them around the lawn. Oh. If he pisses on a fire hydrant, you're done. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I can see the people down the street from me buying that. They're the ones that light off firecrackers at like one o'clock in the morning oh on a Tuesday. God. Yeah. <laughs> you'll have some, Drunk. You'll have some fun with that. Oh, boy. Mm. Yep. Well, there's a new toy for the neighbor. Oh. Meanwhile. A mutant pigeon with giant legs is baffling the Internet. And it's not, by the way, an AI deep fake like the internet thinks it is. Uh huh. That's right, Mally. We have nothing better to do as a society. We've given away all our good jobs to people who actually work them. We're sitting around all day wondering about mutant pigeons. Right. Yeah. Bird watchers are blowing the internet's collective mind after sharing a video of a mutant pigeon with a puffed out breast and legs so long. How long are they, Mally? Well, they're so long that viewers suspected it was an AI deepfake. <laughs> a now viral video of the stretchy squab has amassed over 18.6 million views on TikTok. I can't get a promo for this show over with, with 10,000 people. Uh-huh. But a deepfake AI pigeon gets that many views. Why, Mally? Why? <laughs> the seemingly species-defying clip shared by UK-based At Pigeons TV <laughs> features the awkward-looking birdie strolling along a table with its mile-long legs and its bulbous breast at full mast. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to turn on you bird lovers. Its lowering top-heavy physique evokes thoughts of a regular pigeon following an Ozempic regimen gone bizarrely wrong. No, I'm not talking about the drug Ozempic. The gangly bird's comparably scrawny legs and talons, meanwhile, are covered in plumes like natural feather-hemmed pants. I'll show you a picture here in a minute, Mel. However, as it turns out, the bird is actually an English powder pigeon. P-O-U-T-E-R, powder pigeon a species of homing pigeon that's the tallest breed of fancy pigeons, with some of the biggest ones being 16 inches in height. That's according to Backyard Poultry. The flamboyant feather bag is known for being able to inflate its crop, the muscular pouch on the inside of its neck. Bred through centuries of selective breeding, the fancy pants powder, <laughs> I can't believe I read that, often referred to as the supermodel of the pigeon world due to its resplendent appearance, 
Well, think of it like the bird equivalent of a French poodle is quite the sight to see. Needless to say, the pigeon's Dr. Seuss-esque silhouette remains or rather raised its eyebrows on social media for all to see. Stage 3 Pigeon Pokemon Bro evolved, quipped one gawker, while others compared it to something celebrities would wear at the Met Gala. (laughs) That's definitely two pigeons under a trench coat, said another. Me drawing a pigeon from memory, one TikTok wit joked. Another wrote, what in the AI-generated pigeon is that? Some even thought the bird was a regular pigeon that got plucked, a la those countless videos of dogs with botched haircuts. Although <laughs> although in the realm of ornithological oddities, the powder has nothing on the blue-plumed Victoria crown pigeon. I won't be showing anybody pictures of that. The world's largest species named for its extravagant showgirl-esque headdress. Oh, sounds like it should have its only fans page. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, this mutant pigeon isn't the first foul creature to snag headlines this year. A feisty pigeon hilariously interrupted a Florida meteorologist weather report in May, and a pair of Canadian pigeons were busted sporting drug smuggling backpacks in January and March, respectively. Let me show you a picture here, Mally, of what everybody's all up in arms about here, and they think that this is an AI deepfake. This is the AI deepfake pigeon, right? Wow. I know. She's a a looker. That's a blown out pigeon, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) That's a pigeon with big breastuses. Mm Mm-hmm. And long legs. And long legs. (whistles) Long legs on that pigeon. (laughs) Mally, the enemy is here. The enemy that will take down society. The enemy that we all feared is here. And no, it's not Arnold as Terminator. It's not those liquid robots from Terminator. It's the AI that will take us in, take us down from the inside. Are you ready for the return of Furby? Get out. <laughs> Seriously. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Furby's back. The iconic Furby toy is making a comeback, but not all are excited about the scary robots return. That's right, I said scary robots return, Mel. Furby is back, and people have mixed feelings about the must-have 90s toy, but some saying they can't get over how cute the rebooted version is, while others are less excited about it making a comeback. Now, people born in the 90s, I don't think it's people born in the 90s. I think people remember Furby, right? Right. Yeah. 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 I was born in the 80s and I remember. No, I was born in the 70s. Mally. <laughs> in my old age, I had a memory lapse. <laughs> Mally's like, I was born in the 2000s and I remember Furby. <laughs> yeah, wink, wink. Uh, people born in the 90s will likely remember Furby <laughs> as Mally checks her license. Yeah. Uh, as the owl-like creature was a must-have for kids, it could speak, it was adorably fluffy, and it captured the imaginations of many. And yes, there were downsides to Furby, like when it came to life in the middle of the night to wake you up and scare the shit out of you. And it seemed impossible to get it to shut up. But no doubt, it was a nostalgic toy for many. And now Hasbro has announced that they're bringing back the toy, capitalizing on the nostalgia, but people have mixed feelings about the cult classic coming back to life under the same name. 
Uh, this new and improved Furby has its familiar bulbous eyes, yellow beak, and colorful fur, and also speaks in gibberish. That was the weirdest thing about it. Mm-hmm. The made-up names and the... Uh, responding to physical, it says physical tough from its owner, much like the one people knew and loved for when it was first released in 1998. But not everyone welcomed the return of Furby, as some of them felt creeped out by the toy when they were younger. Taking to Twitter, many people shared their mixed feelings about the relaunch. One person used the announcement as an opportunity to post their original Furby family, sharing all the toys that they collected throughout the years. Um, here's the creepy closet full of Furbies right here, Mally. Tell me you could sleep through that. I could. Could you? Oh, yeah. You know what used to creep me out? Is is it Teddy Rux- Ruxpin? Yes, Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah, that's what creeped me out. Did you ever Did you ever have one or get My brother to did. Did you ever put like a just a random tape in its back? No, I didn't, but I think oh. my brother did. But it was just creepy. I, I used to put, uh, we had access to a Teddy Ruxpin. My sister had one so for a short time. So I would put like my Van Halen tapes in the back of it. <laughs> and it would, it would sing along with, uh, with David Lee Roth. And <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. I had a good time with Teddy Ruxpin. Uh, so the, the, the rest of the story, one person writes, they were very scary looking back. Weird fur textures, strange gravelly granny voice, if I remember rightly. Another chimed in, they really brought back Furbies. Those bitches would go off randomly like at 3 a.m. when I was a kid. And I'm convinced they picked up ghosts on those sensors they had the, uh, on them. I don't know. Do you think Furbies picked up ghosts? Maybe. Could be. I mean, think about monitors and stuff, how they su- supposedly pick up on stuff. Why wouldn't true. a Furby? True. Very true. Uh, Furby, the bug-eyed, gibberish-talking 90s toy phenomenon, has been revived again, said an unimpressed Twitter user as they sighed. But others had a polarized reaction. What a hit of nostalgia, a Furby fan went on to say. Uh, the new Furby was announced, and this is huge. Someone praised. I'm so happy, even though it's not 100% the direction I'd wish for. It's good. I think they're finding better grounds than before. It's cute. I love them. Oh, they're so cute, another wrote. And someone else said, I'll love them until they kill me in my sleep. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's that. So there you go. Uh, let's move on, Mel. Um, interesting story here. Did you ever see that animation movie? Well, it's not animation, but animatronic with Nicolas Cage. It's a it's an awesome movie where he's like cleaning the place, basically, and the animatronics come to life. No. And they kill. And he doesn't say one word throughout the movie. Really? Which movie is that? Uh, it was on Hulu. Really? But yeah, you'll have to check it out. It was really... I liked it. I enjoyed it. But it's like the... Um, the ones that you would go to, like, the pizza party places, and they'd have those big animatronics. Yeah, I worked at Chuck E. Cheese, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. would have those, and they'd come to life, and they'd kill people. <gasps> really? But he doesn't say one word in the movie. Really? Yeah, it's good, though. It's like they made a pact with the devil, the people that own the place, and all that stuff. That's bizarre. I, I gotta, you know what, I gotta, I gotta check that out. Yeah, it was good, because I want the t-shirt that they wear. <laughs> Is it is it a cool t shirt? Yeah, uh, it's just it's just I don't know. I like it. I like souvenirs, but I like that movie, so I want the t shirt that they were wearing. Yeah, I forget what it was called. 
I always thought uh, Billy Bob over at Showbiz Pizza Place was better than Chuck E. Cheese's band. But see, I, yes. worked, I worked for Chuck E. Cheese and you would think I'd be partial to Chucky's band, but I'm not. Because mm-hmm. Billy Bob played more classic rock. Okay. See? Yeah. Because Chucky always had these too. weird songs that he would play. Yeah. And then he'd play a classic rock song. Not Billy Bob. He just launched into it. Mm-hmm. I think probably because they had a BMI or an ASCAP license. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I can only speculate. I can't, I can't say for sure. But, you know, that's just me. Uh, the story that I'm about to read you is, uh, is one we'll just title, uh, Satan Wants to Play Your State Capital. Okay. Oh, real quick. Yeah. Willy Won- Willy's Wonderland. That's what it's called. Willy's Wonderland. All right. Yep. Okay, great. Sorry for great. interrupting. No, no, no. That's, it's, that's, that's a must. We need to know that. So there you go. Because I want to check out that movie myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, when it comes to the Satanic Temple, I, I get uh-huh. a few listeners who get a little, they get their f- r- feathers a little ruffled. They think I'm giving the Satanic Temple uh, publicity, but I'm not. I actually find this kind of uh, amusing. Um, they, from time to time, like to stick their, their nose up at the government and they try to get equal time. We'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. And they cite that, well, if, if, uh, there's certain factions of the government that try to try to tie themselves to Christianity, well, they believe that they should get their equal time with the government as well. Um, so if they put Christian artifacts in the government that they should put satanic, you know, artifacts in the government as well. Mm-hmm. So the Satanic Temple has once again decided they're going to call out the government on yet another thing that's going on in government. I just find this very funny. So bear mm-hmm. with me here, Mel. You're bracing yourself like, oh, God, you're asking for emails, aren't you? <laughs> well, didn't they find a loophole and now they have like a statue of the devil or something like that uh, Baph- down in southern Minnesota? Was it Baphomet? I don't know. I think it's Baphomet, maybe. Okay, but somehow mm-hmm. they found a loophole that they could have one in like oh, a yeah. park or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how the the Satanic Temple works. Gotcha. And the Church Church of Satan works that way too. What they'll do it's more the Satanic Temple. Uh, they they and and they're based out of Salem, Massachusetts. What they do, and it's not that they necessarily worship Satan. They don't worship Satan. Or they do, but they don't. They're, they're not, not sacrificing babies. <laughs> yes, they're not sacrificing babies. What they're doing is they're they're more pagan than anything else, and that what they're doing is they're looking to even things out, so to speak. They they okay. they call upon hypocrisies. But like I said, folks, I'm not looking. To, I don't worship them. I don't. I don't follow their religion. I don't represent them in any, any way. You're just relaying the story. I just relay the story. And every once in a while, I think what they do is a little funny. That's all. Mm-hmm. I just, I get the sense of humor. That's all. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like uh, Borat. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're very Borat. <laughs> That's how I look at them. They're very Borat. Uh, so there's a rock act out there called Satanic Planet. And they're seeking to perform in state capitol buildings that have hosted Christian nationalist performer Sean Fucht. Okay. So basically they're saying if Sean Fucht has performed at your state capitol, mm-hmm. by gosh, our satanic band, Satanic Planet, wants to perform there too. Equal time is what they're saying. 
Okay. Yeah. Here's here's the here's the story on that. So they're saying in response to Christian nationalist mus- musician Sean Fuchs ongoing Let Us Worship concert tour, which has already found the musician playing within the Capitol buildings of several states. They want their experimental avant industrial band. Oh. Imagine that playing <laughs> playing in many state so it's, capitals. So it's not John Denver-ish sounding no, music. No, no, no. <laughs> no, right. So Sean, Sean Fugue comes in and he's playing a nice, you know, playing a nice uh, acoustic right. guitar and, and beautiful country <laughs> music. Here comes Satanic Planet playing their experimental avant industrial music. Oh lordy! Which I'm sure a lot of the older guys in the in the capital would love to hear. Mm-hmm. And they have vowed to play the same public venues that have accommodated Fugt. <laughs> right? I'm sure they'd all love to sit out on their lunch hour, <laughs> have a nice have a nice bag lunch, mm-hmm. and listen to the the lovely strains of Satanic Planet. <laughs> right. Uh, according to Satanic Planet front person Lucian Graves, who also also leads the Satanic Temple, uh, Fugt is openly a theocrat who uh, courts the attention of politicians and seeks to uh, is it I, I've always gotten this word wrong, so I'm not going to say it uh, through his performances. He, he basically seeks, seeks to is it. But basically, he seeks to get favor uh, with gotcha. the yeah with the with the capital through his uh, or with the government through his performances. He has his opinions, and we have ours. But one thing the government cannot do is uh, is preference his viewpoint over ours by giving him exclusive access to perform a concert on the Capitol grounds. Graves goes on to say. That stage is every bit as much ours as it is his. So, in the name of pluralism and religious liberty, there are some state capitals that are likely soon to be hosting Satanic Planet shows. Hmm. I don't know how to tell him this. I get what he's saying, but right. mm, I don't think the old folks are going to sit out and listen to industrial music. I highly doubt it. Maybe if you had a Satanic country band. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if, mm-hmm. you, if you played the devil went down to Georgia over and over and over again, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. A little, a little bit of this. There you go. Uh, Satanic planet, by the way. Uh, and this is according to law. The government must remain neutral regarding religious viewpoints when granting permission to parties seeking to take advantage of public accommodations for this reason. And this is according to the, to the Satanic temple. The fact that public representatives have allowed Fuke to perform openly Christian nationalist events within state capitol buildings leaves little in the way of a legal rationale whereby Satanic Planet might be denied. <laughs> so they're saying, hey, you did it for the Christians. Right. You got to do it for the Satanists. Mm. <laughs> I could see them just like, it, rather than dealing with that, being like, no music is going to be allowed to be played. Right. That's exactly what they're going to mm-hmm. do. From now, from here on out, no more concerts. Right. But they're going to ask for the one-off. So Lucian, if you're listening, which I doubt he is, <laughs> but if you're listening, Satanic Planet has got to become like the Satanic Ranch. You got to go country, buddy. <laughs> you got to learn some Devil Went Down to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Get out that fiddle. Get out that fiddle. You got to learn some Johnny Cash, some Willie Nelson. Mm-hmm. You got to get into the good old hits. 
and then you got to learn some. I don't know. Is are there is there good satanic uh, country? That I do not know. I don't know, but you got you got to learn country, buddy. They're not going to want to hear industrial. They don't want to hear "Head Like a Hole" by Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> you know, even though I do like that song. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, I do too. But they, that's that's not what the older guys want to hear. The older guys and gals. Yeah. You know, they want they want to hear some good old fashioned, uh, you know, shit kicking music. That's what they want to hear. Uh, So the band is hoping to raise funds to perform at the state capitals that Fuked has played through a crowdfunding campaign. I won't bother you with that. If you really want to help them out, you can go help them out. Um, I just find it funny. I don't know. They say if their request to perform is denied, the fundraiser will be put toward the legal battle that's going to follow. By the way. And they have submitted a request to perform at the Indiana State Capitol on August 12th of 2023. And by the way, Mally? Yeah? Their tour name? Okay. The Let Us Burn Tour. Get out. <laughs> That's pretty good for Satanists. Like how you did like the devil horn yeah. thing with your hands. Yeah! Yeah. Can't wait to see the t-shirt. Just saying. Can't wait to see the t-shirt. So there you go. That's that's what Satanists have planned for uh, for this for this summer for the summer tour. <laughs> so there you go. In case you kids were wondering, let's move on, Mally, shall we? Um, sure. Creepy dolls. Should we talk about creepy dolls for a moment? Yeah. All right. We will go to we have this uh, urban explorer, Dave. We talk about every once in a while. Uh, he mm-hmm. he runs around Europe and uh, sometimes the U.S. finding these abandoned homes. And a lot of times in these abandoned homes, for some reason, he finds a lot of creepy dolls. Well, he's at it again. He's uh, found an eerie dollhouse frozen in time and filled with hundreds of kids toys. Now, urban urban explorer Dave is describing the eerie home at the strangest thing he's ever seen after discovering hundreds of creepy dolls and stuffed animals that have been left behind. A professional urban explorer has come across the strangest location he's ever found when he discovered an abandoned home hidden deep in the woods. Dave, better known as Freaktography, traveled to a remote location in Ontario, Canada to visit the property, trekking across empty fields, fallen trees, and overgrown woodland to reach the home. But when he finally went inside, he couldn't shake the feeling that he was being watched as he looked around and realized the eyes of creepy dolls were watching him. No one knows exactly when the home was abandoned, but its decaying state suggests that it's been left alone for several years. It looks as if whoever once lived in the property... Uh, left in a hurry with hundreds of children's toys, some ripped to shreds and left scattered across the floors. Dave said this abandoned house is probably one of the strangest and most remote locations for a random home I've ever seen. Describing what he found when he entered the eerie home, he added inside the house, the house was tossed badly decayed and well-worn from decades of weather. It seemed in every room I entered that I was being watched by the eyes of creepy dolls and stuffed animals. Is that mm-hmm. a, is that a blessing or a curse? <laughs> I mean, if I were nine, I yeah. think it was the greatest thing ever. Uh, Dave estimates that the toys, which include cabbage patch kids to Disney figurines to be from the nineties. Uh, but some of his 30, 
I'm sorry, 83,000 YouTube followers suspect that they're vintage 1980s. Well, why would 1980s dolls be creepy? I mean, do these... Okay, here, let me show you a picture, Mel. You tell me. See, the first picture I see looks kind of creepy, okay? Like, like mm-hmm. these, these dolls could be potentially creepy. Yeah. Yeah, those are. But then when you right. go down here... Yeah. No, not really. No. Eh. Just looks like it's been abused, right? Right. Yeah. The house itself is, is you know, ramshackled. Right. Yeah. When I think of creepy dolls, I think of, like, the Victorian doll. Yes. Like, you know, dolls that are really old, not but this one just something looks like... that I would have gotten. The... That's a cab... Was that a cabbage patch? Yeah, that's no. just, that's just an ab- ab- abused cabbage patch doll. Yeah, it just looks old and dirty. Yeah, yeah, that's all it is. It's not creepy. It's just... Mm-mm. I feel like I want to adopt it and bring it home. Take care of it. You know? Mm-hmm. Adopt an abused cabbage <laughs> patch doll. <laughs> I, I now have a charity I finally want to put all my weight behind. <laughs> Well, I told you I had a psychic story for later on in the program, and here it is. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Uh, This story comes from Vice, from Vice News, and it also comes from a listener. So thank you very much for sending it along. I think this might have been Brandon that sent it along. It says, I had a near-death experience, and now I can see the future. I'm also one of Australia's smartest men. Ooh. Yeah. We'll give you just the highlights of the story. Uh, This man says when he woke up several weeks later from his encounter, whenever he touched somebody, he could feel the state of their health or their body. Dr. Jason Betts says he has an IQ somewhere between 163 and 172. Damn. Right? Uh, If we're making comparisons, Einstein's was reportedly around 160. It's a level of intellect that's one in a million. And if we compare it to the rest of Australia, Betts' claim would make him one of the smartest people in the country. But aside from, that sounds almost like an insult, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd want people to know that I was that smart. Really? Why? Yeah. I don't know. I think people would make fun of me and well, say that I'm lying. Dumb, <laughs> dumb people would make fun of you, yeah. But well, I, think smart, I make fun of myself, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think smart people would, 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 would admire it. You know? <laughs> I don't know. People in, people in Mensa would admire it. My mom's in Mensa. Obviously, that gene didn't pass down. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at you. Come on now. Self-deprecating humor is good, but you don't, you don't have to do it to yourself. That's what self-deprecating is. Yeah. <laughs> I just pulled a Malleism. Um, okay, back to the story. Uh, But aside from his significant brains, Betts also has a long list of accolades and achievements. He's a member of Mensa. See, I brought it up for a reason. (laughs) Uh, The Triple Nine Society and the Prometheus Society, high IQ clubs reserved for those in the upper percentiles of intellect. He also works as a genius consultant on shows like Child Genius. Uh, He's invented multiple intelligence tests, has degrees in mathematics and philosophy, and has written a number of books. But Betts also has a number of unorthodox, by mainstream standards, interests that stand as the backbone of his life's work. He's a marriage celebrant, a Reiki master, and a psychic. He believes his psychic abilities allow him to read people's future, see into their life, and see what they experience as they lie on their deathbed. Ooh. Yeah. 
interesting stuff. With access to such an interesting and multifaceted person, uh, Vice asked him questions about life, intelligence, and a near-death experience that opened up his spiritual world. Let's get to that, shall we? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Let's skip ahead to his psychic abilities. We'll skip past the IQ questions because obviously he's smart and he knows he's smart and he mm-hmm. thinks he's smart. They ask him the question, so do you think science and spirituality can align? Which is a very good question. Mm-hmm. When we talk about spirituality, a lot of times we don't talk about people's intelligence. Right. Uh, a lot of times because scientists who are highly intelligent tend to be skeptics. Yes. Uh He says one of the great philosophers of science, Karl Popper, one of his great quotes is, if you can't measure it, it's not science, which is an interesting quote. Uh, He goes on to say, so when we measure people's minds by touching them with Reiki or connecting with them as people pass over, we can build up a body of evidence. Likewise, when we look at spiritual phenomena or psychic phenomena and we measure, we get a body of evidence. It gets better and better and better. Science keeps getting closer to understanding the processes that are going on. For example, he says, Gautama Buddha, two and a half thousand years ago, sitting under a tree, healing people with his hands, holding their hands inside his, meditating with them, bringing about and transferring transdermal electroneural connection from his mind through their nerves in the hand to the other person's hand. He's transmitting his psychological state to them. And this is how Reiki works, which is where it comes from. And now in Silicon Valley, USA, one of the members of our genius directory, a doctor with a PhD in neurology, is using vagus nerve electrostimulation to bring about reduction in inflammation in the body. And this is the same way I believe that Reiki works when I place my hands on people. There's a warmth and a tingling sensation. I can tap into the person's nervous system, which is how I read their minds and state of their body. But I can tell where certain organs are working and certain ones are not, aware there is pain in the body. And that's because we're accessing the vagus nerve or other nerves. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they ask him, here's a weird question to end, end the interview. Where do you think people go after they die? Now, interesting to a guy who believes in science and the paranormal. Yes. He says, interesting. I have a small direct experience with that. After I saw the people in the operating room, things vanished. Like everything went dark, which I had the same experience when I blanked out after having sepsis. Mm -hmm. I went through the roof and hit the electricals of the lights. And then it stopped. And then when I was coming into consciousness... I remember a very vivid dream. And that was similar to other people's journeys once they traveled through that tunnel, which I think is actually a part of the brain. And everything went white. There were clouds everywhere. So my idea of heaven, and then there was my grandfather's house right in the middle on a white plain of nothing, just his house with him in front. And he was in the front of his, or he was in the front with his gardening leather apron smiling at me. And this time, instead of thinking consciously, I was actually feeling, but more just witnessing. And I was thinking I was an observer, but I could feel his love and I could feel my love for him. And I could feel him feeling my love. So obviously, there's a bit of telepathy there. 
And then I got closer because he was getting bigger. And then he closed the gate to his front yard, and then I woke up. Almost like he was, you know, stopping him or denying him. Mm -hmm. He goes on to say, from my direct experiences, I can say that I was out of my body's perspective, where I could see my face, my whole body, and the people around it. And then I can also say that I was in a different place inside my mind, but I wasn't my normal self. I wasn't like a lucid dream. It was experiential. That was the beginning of a psychic awareness and connection. And then I can say that I've been present at the passing of over 30 people now as a healer and a teacher and emotional support. And personally, of course, when we hold the body, the person passes, there's a vision that opens up of what they're experiencing psychically. And it's beautiful and profound. When we look at the Book of the Kells from Ireland or the Book of the Dead from Tibet and Egypt, they all say similar things, that there's one month after passing where people can see their ghosts. Then there's a three-month passing or another three full lunar cycles of healing time where they're not contactable. Then there may, then there may come back or they may not. If they do come back, they're usually around for, around for 10 years or so waiting for someone else to pass over. Or they're meeting their loved one on the other side. And then they're never heard or felt again. Where they go after that is anybody's guess. But those things I can say are readily testable. So he believes in a more physical afterlife. Mm-hmm. In a measurable afterlife. Right. It's got a time frame. Yeah. Interesting stuff. And I've never heard it put that way before. Mm-hmm. As an afterlife that's experienceable within your mind. Which scares the hell out of me if, if you're putting me in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or if you're going to put me in an oven. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's move on before I freak out and scream, Mally. Because <laughs> uh, that will happen. We only have two stories left in today's Supernatural News. Again, folks, oh, you know what? We have a, We have another parashare. We have another parashare oh. to, to read. We have two stories left in today's, um, today's episode. By the way, if you have a parashare story for us, you can email it to us. Uh, you can email me at tim at darknessradio.com. You can write it down like Corey did today. Um, or you can send it to us like Sarah did on a voice note. You just go to um, darknessradioshow.com. There's a blue button on the right-hand side of the uh, website. You just click that blue button, leave us a voice note. You've got two minutes to do so. If you need more time, click the blue button again. You get another two minutes. You do it over and over and over again. I will stitch it together, and we have a nice long voice note of yours, and we'll weigh in afterwards, like Sarah did today. So either like Corey, email us, or like Sarah, leave a voice note. We'll play it here on the show. So we do have a parish share here from Corey, and parish share, the parish share from Corey is much like the story we just read. It has a lot of interesting uh, facts for us uh, today. Corey says, good morning, good evening, good night. I don't know what time of day you record these. Uh, it's somewhere in the middle there. We'll just tell Corey that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after long last, I have a story for you. I have a friend in the theater business who also runs trivia events on Wednesday. He was telling me about how he dove into a rabbit hole when he discovered our hometown has a cryptid story. So I will share with you what he sent me. So this is what his buddy sent him. He says, doing a little research for a cryptid comedy piece we're working on. 
cryptid comedy sounds interesting. <laughs> he said, the Native American legend of a giant turtle bear that was common along the shores of Appalachian waterways. When Fort Harmar was first established in what is present-day Marietta, Ohio, at the confluence of the Ohio and Muskingum Rivers, local natives warned the soldiers of a giant creature that lived in the confluence, often snatching animals from the shoreline. A recorded account of the creature snatching a full-grown deer from the shore near the fort, which resulted in soldiers convening on and killing with rifles and clubs, a giant turtle-like creature measuring some 15 feet from the snout to tail tip. So researching the Agua Native American myth and legend through the reports of the sightings that were recorded, some weird Marietta-centric stuff. So here it is. The best account is from the soldier at Fort Harmar, whose letters still exist as part of the West Virginia Historic Society archive. They detail size, shape, weight, and hunting practices of this thing, which was apparently a regular stalker of the fort until they killed it. Also, George Washington, on one of his surveys, makes notes of what appears to be an abnormally large snapping turtle on the shores of what today would be Buckley Island. Native Shawnee and Delaware tribes, which use this area as a hunting ground, describe in detail the creature to soldiers and early settlers as something that had been there since the early times, that's in quotes, and they believed it to be a spirit that would protect them from invaders. Sightings of odd creatures that match the description have actually been recorded in the pool between Marietta, Ohio and Parkersburg, West Virginia, on many occasions with a rash of sightings occurring in the 1880s that made news all over North America. So Corey writes, so I started doing, his friend writes rather, so I started doing some research on it myself until I got another message from him last night. I think this is Corey that's writing it. Um, okay. So he says he hopped back in the rabbit hole and found out that the next DLC expansion for Fallout 76 will have the Ogua creature as a new public event creature to fight. So it's going to be in a video game. Huh. All right. Okay. That's all I got for you. He says I attached a picture of the Ogua that will be used in Fallout 76. Just knowing that makes all this seem like a big coincidence that I don't know how to explain. Something we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks turned into a DLC. Whatever the case, have a good rest of your day. Corey from Marietta, Ohio. And here, Mally, is a picture of the Ogua. Oh, okay. Yeah, is appearing in the DLC. Kind of looks like a Ninja Turtle on steroids. Yeah, exactly. So that's interesting, huh? Yeah. They'll pull inspiration from anywhere these days. Yep. There you go. Okay, so two stories left in, um, in today's uh, Supernatural News. And, uh, sorry, I get, I, get, uh, I get notifications all the time. And I get uh -huh. one from Crime, Crime Watch Minneapolis. And they, I just saw something about them finding a body. So I, I, get, <gasps> yeah, I get thrown off every once in a while. So that's for True Crime Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, there's a report out of Texas that a paranormal investigator is reporting an encounter with a strange spiritual entity, or is it? An artist's depiction of the entity is uh, quite disturbing. We'll tell you what exactly this entity is. The singular Fort Fortean society 
was recently put in contact with an investigator who said that he had seen a strange spiritual entity on his way to an investigation. The 57-year-old investigator was driving with a friend on US-77 in Texas and had just passed I-10 on May 27th at approximately 1 th- or, I'm sorry, 11.30 p.m. when he saw what he would later describe as a one and a half foot by one and a half foot dark square being moved across the road. We were going to an investigation in Hallettsville, Texas. This is the quote. And as we were driving on the left from where oncoming traffic would be coming from, this was a two lane highway, by the way, one way each way. I saw something crawling in the road. He told the singular Fortean society's chief investigator, Tobias Wayland. Who, by the way, is a friend on Facebook. Oh. Yeah. Uh, During a phone interview, what was weird was that it was black. It was dark. And the best way to describe it is to picture a square. It was a square, no arms or legs, but the corners were stretching out to walk. Okay, that's That's weird. weird. Yeah, that's weird. The man described the entity's movement as being similar to the symbiote from the movie Venom in that it stretched and contorted itself to move. Hmm. That's weird. At the same time as he was seeing the crawling square, the man said his friend saw a round creature on the opposite side of the highway. He said that she described the creature as having a round body and initially thought it was a pig until it mysteriously vanished. She said she thought it was a pig because of its shape and because it was walking in the woods off the road, but that it wasn't a pig because it disappeared. Then as their vehicle passed the mysterious square entity, he lost sight of it. The man said he suddenly felt cold. It felt like it attached to my vehicle, he said. It got real cold. I'm a paranormal investigator, and I've been doing this for about 14 or 15 years. I've dealt with a lot of stuff, and I've felt a lot of stuff, and I've never felt or seen anything like this before. You could feel the cold. I turned to my friend and said, something is here with us. He tried telling the entity that it was not welcome, but he said it just wouldn't leave. This thing, for a lack of a better term, latched onto me. After meeting several friends at the site of their investigation, which was the old Lavaca County Jail, the man was told that he didn't look like himself and sprinkled, it was sprinkled with holy water. This did little to dissuade the entity from its attachment. His friends then offered to smudge him with sage, which reportedly began to burn a greenish color and made a popping sound. Huh. Yeah. When you were first talking about the square, I was thinking maybe it was like a vortex or like a doorway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially if there was like another creature on the other side. Right. Like they might have gone through that little portal. Right. Uh, At this point, the entity, which the man said he felt between his T-shirt and skin, but could no longer see, left through his shirt sleeve. So it was piggybacking. Yeah. Weird. I know I sound crazy, but this thing was running around, he said. The now invisible entity then attached itself to his friend, whom he reported experienced stomach cramping and back pain, something he said he also felt when it was attached to him. He said that the entity felt smaller than it had looked in the road when it was attached and that it almost felt like an air pocket. As it moved, you could feel a trail, almost as if it was dragging a tail, he added. Concerned for his friend's safety, the man said that he had placed his hand on her and commanded the entity to come back to him. It seemed to do so, and as the night progressed, he said the entity became weaker and weaker until he could no longer feel it. 
During the course of the investigation, the man said that they were able to use a K2 meter to communicate with something, which informed them that the entity had been summoned specifically to harm the friend who had experienced the more pronounced reaction to the entity's attachment. The man said that he suspected that the entity was conjured through Bruharia uh, by someone jealous of the people that he's hanging around with, but otherwise declined to elaborate. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Huh. Bizarre. Okay, so we're going to end the show on a light note today, because that's how we do it. <laughs> okay, okay. That's, uh, that's, that's how we do it, Mal. Uh it's not really paranormal or supernatural, but, you know, they always say uh, it was McGruff, the crime dog, that said take a bite out of crime. It's me that's saying that wildlife will take a bite out of your doorbell. Okay. <laughs> so be careful with your with your ring camera. Uh, we go to California where a bear tries to take a bite out of the doorbell cam of someone's <laughs> ring camera. Uh, at the residence. A California man showed the video of the moment that a curious black bear wandered onto his porch and attempted to make a meal out of his doorbell cam. Brent Robinson of Bass Lake said his ring doorbell camera recorded activity on his front porch and said he was surprised to check the video and discover the cause. The video shows a bear on Robinson's porch pawing at the camera lens. Uh, the bear eventually attempted to bite the camera, giving an inside view of the animal's impressive jaws. <laughs> Would you like to see that video there, Matt? Oh. Yeah. I don't know that that's an awe. That's an ah! Well, because, I don't know. I know they're dangerous, but they're so cute. I like watching videos of bears. Well, until they try to bite me. That is true. Yeah. Uh, Robinson uh, said the bear was the first animal to try to make a meal out of his camera. Yeah, that's that's uh, unusual, that's for sure. A similar incident occurred in May in West Virginia where Dustin Smith of Fairmont shared footage from his doorbell camera showing a bear wander onto his porch to investigate the ring camera. No biting was allowed in that deal. Uh, Smith's footage shows the bear ring the doorbell before wandering off. So he was the ding-dong <laughs> ditch bear, not the, gotcha. not the biting bear. So there you go. That's that story there. That's going to wrap up uh, dumb, dumb crime, stupid criminals. <laughs> No, that's going to wrap up that too. But supernatural news for today, um, Mally. What you got? Uh, what you got in store besides the Fourth of July for for uh, for the future? Uh, I think I'm going to make some Nutella fudge tonight. <gasps> Shut up! Really? I found a three ingredient recipe. I'm going to give it a try. It's really? been a while since I've had Nutella. Are Are you going to post that on ParanormalGirl.com by chance? I think I will. Ooh, look at that. Yep. And I'm working on a story right now about uh, memorial cards. I started collecting them. Really? Okay. Yeah, they're really pretty. Wow. All right. Yeah. So we'll look forward to that. Again, folks, for all things Mally Fox, check out ParanormalGirl.com. There's also uh, ParanormalGirl.com merchandise to, to purchase there at the website. Be sure to check that out. Also, Mally Fox will be at uh, Michigan Paracon. Yeah. Yeah. So you can get your tickets. We'll have, a, we'll have a link in the description of the show as to where you can get your tickets for Michigan Paracon as well. Uh, I want to remind you guys of some uh, quick bookkeeping or, or housekeeping bookkeeping. Listen to me. Yeah, we're going to mm -hmm. keep your books for you. Uh, quick housekeeping notes. Uh, there was an interesting email that was sent out. If you listen to us on Stitcher, you might have gotten an email, and it is a true email, folks. Stitcher is changing their model in other words they are going out of business in august so you'll no longer be able to hear darkness radio on stitcher 
Now, supposedly, Stitcher is folding into Pandora. We are on Pandora, as far as I know. I'll, I'll double-check to make sure. But as far as I know, we are on Pandora. Uh, if you can't find us on Pandora, let me know. Uh, but we are available wherever you can get your podcast. So if you choose to, um, if you choose to find us on a different source, uh, whether it be the Darkness Radio app, whether it be iHeartRadio, whether it be uh, Apple Podcasts, whether it be Google Play, wherever you decide to get us, uh, you can get us on any other source where you find your your podcasts. If you're confused as to where you can get us. Uh, just go to darknessradioshow.com. Right there on the front page, there are different sources as to where you can get our RSS feed and get the podcast. We will point you in the right direction. The second thing I want to address is the Darkness Radio app. Now, this week, people have said, well, Tim, we're having a hard time getting the podcasts on the Darkness Radio app. That's because Audio Boom has slightly changed the RSS feed address. It has nothing to do with what you've done with the app. Uh Right now, we're in the middle of changing that and getting it fixed on the Apple side. I don't control the Google Play side or the, the Android side of the app, just so you know. Um, we're in the process of getting a hold of the man who controls the Android app. Um, but between all of us and the fence post, we'll probably be relaunching the Darkness Radio app for Android relatively shortly so look for that here in the next um i would say next month or two because uh let's just put it this way timmy doesn't have control of the darkness radio app anymore so it may switch over to something new you may see it come up for a short time and then change over over to a different show name so when that happens you'll see a new darkness radio app launch and if you choose to follow darkness radio you'll have to download a new darkness radio app for android this is for android not for apple for apple nothing changes so if you listen to us on the darkness radio apple app just continue to follow us on the darkness radio apple app nothing changes this is strictly for android so we may be re relaunching the darkness radio app or android app so keep that in mind and we'll remind you as well on social media if you follow us on social media uh, one more thing. Tomorrow, uh, Bruiser goes in for his hip replacement surgery. So please keep him in your thoughts and prayers or uh, just send him some energy if that's if you're an energy worker. So please keep him in your thoughts and prayers. Send him good energy uh, tomorrow morning when you, when you rise and shine for a successful surgery, for a successful rehab. Um, it's a very quick surgery and very quick recovery. Uh, we, we want Bruiser to be out of pain. He's, he's spent quite a few years, decades even, in pain in that hip and back. Um, this hip replacement surgery is going to change his life in many ways. It's going to change the way he conducts his career. It's going to change the way he conducts his life in general. He'll be pain-free for the first time in a long time. He'll be able to walk without a limp for the first time in a long time. Uh, we're all thinking of you, brother. We all love you, and uh, we want you to feel better soon and uh, tackle this new direction in life with, uh, with a huge fervor. So go ahead, brother, do your thing. And uh, we all love you, and we miss you on the show. Uh, but, man, have we got a replacement for you. So uh, <laughs> at least temporarily, at least temporarily. Yeah. So um, 
but uh, get healthy soon and, and get back soon because we miss you. So, oh, do you want a backstory real quick to that picture? Oh yes, I almost forgot the big no, thing. No, it take like I, two seconds. That's right. I I almost forgot the big story here. So I meant to say this during the AI portion of our story. Okay, so if you go to darknessradioshow.com in the blog section. We'll have a picture for you. Mally has a huge story, and I nearly closed up the show. Well, I wouldn't call it huge. (laughs) It is huge. So Mally says to me yesterday, as as we're talking, she goes, boy, have I got a story for you. Mally, go ahead, tell the story. Well, no. Okay, so there's this app. It's like an AI app. Yep. And it's kind of like what you would look like. Mm -hmm. And so I did it, and I did it upstairs in my bedroom. Yep. Now, the thing is with my house, as I've mentioned several times, my house is haunted. Like, we've had lots of things happen. Yep. And upstairs, we hear things dragging along the floor. We see, we hear footsteps. We see shadows, all that stuff, right? We've had figures appear upstairs. So I take this AI app. I take a photo with it, using it, and I'm looking at it, and I kind of look like, uh, I don't know, that gold character, but uh, R2-D2, no. C-3PO? Yeah, C-3PO. Okay. Because, like, my picture's gold. I look good, though. Yeah, you do. You look good in it, yeah. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, what the hell is that in the hallway? And there is a shadow figure in my hallway. And so I was like, okay, does this happen to everybody? So I was trying to look at everybody else's AI pictures that was posted like on tiktok and stuff and no one else has a shadow yeah like in the in their photos folks it is creepy and it's plain as day in this picture so what i'm going to do is i'm going to post it over at darknessradioshow.com in the blog section you can see for yourself what mally just told you she caught a ghost on AI. How do you like that? So we're going to using an AI app. So we're, we're going to go ahead and we're going to post that for you so you can see it for yourself. And I'll post a link in the description of this program so you can go ahead and just click on the link. It'll take you over to darknessradioshow.com into the blog section and you can see for yourself. So there you go. So thank you, Mally. Thank you so much for bringing that along <laughs> uh, with you to the program. No problem. That's going to do it for today, folks. Tomorrow on the big program, Jason Offit, uh, author, paranormal researcher, will be with us. Again, one of the first people to tell us about Black Eyed Kids will join us. We'll be doing a little bit of uh, just a paranormal potpourri. We'll be talking about different subjects. We'll be talking about our mutual fear of AI. Um, Jason doesn't like AI at all, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the recent news as far as uh, the alien phenomena goes. Uh, about the U.S. government, whether they do possess alien tech, and much, much more. We'll be talking about uh, even his last couple of books. We'll be talking about fairy folk and more. Jason Offit on tomorrow's show here on The Best in Paranormal Podcasting. For Mally Fox, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for continuing to be a faithful listener of Darkness Radio. And again, if you like what you hear, rate and review us. Give us a five-star review. And we love you. We appreciate you. We'll see you tomorrow for Darkness Radio.